Morning, church. It's good to be with you again. If you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book of your New Testament. If you don't know what page it's on, there's a page in the beginning of your Bible that will tell you. If you have an app, it doesn't matter what page it's on. It's quite easy for you. A quick word of prayer. Father in heaven, we're thankful that we're gathered here again this morning, that you have brought us here in safety. We thank you for the fellowship of the saints. We thank you for the truthfulness of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that through the confession of our sin, you make us courageous. Father, we know that the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. So I pray, Father, that your church would be bold in all the ways that you have instructed us to be. We ask a special blessing for Pastor Ray and Grace as they rest and are renewed and restored for further ministry and labor for the gospel. We pray for their protection. We pray that you would cleanse them of all their unrighteousness, that you would purify them with your word, that you empower them with your spirit. Amen. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. These are the words of Jesus. If the, world, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. <clears throat> if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they have kept my word, they would also keep yours. China, 1899. The century began with the, box, the Boxer Rebellion. In 1899, a secret society of Chinese called the Religious Harmonious Fists named boxers by Western press because they practiced boxing skills that they believed would make them impervious to bullets, began a campaign of terror against Christian missionaries in the northeastern province of China. The terrorist activists, the boxers of this society, gradually increased throughout the year 1900, and by the May of that year, boxers were wandering the countryside and attacking Western missionaries and Chinese converts to Christianity wherever they could find them. During the summer, boxers rampaged Peking, burned down churches of Westerners and Christians alike, killed the Chinese Christians that had not been able to flee the city. And the Boxer Rebellion lasted nearly two years, killed 250 Christian missionaries and nearly 30,000 Christian Chinese. 1966, a local court ordered the daughter of Galia, age 11, and son Alexander, age 9, of a Soviet premier to be taken away from them because they were raised in the Christian faith. For two years, the children were kept in a boarding school that was unsanitary. So unsanitary, they were infested with lice. The legs of Galia swelled up to twice their normal size, and both children were sick from lung disease, possible tuberculosis. After two years of detention, the children ran away from the school back to their home. Soon after, the authorities came to the premier's home to take the children back. 
Billy and Alexander climbed on a couch and began to cry. A police officer who had arrived to take them back aborted the plan because he could not bring himself to take the crying children. A few days later, the children attended school as normal. The director of the school called Galia into the office where the same police officer was waiting for her and grabbed her and carried her out. On the way out, they both fell to the floor and recorded Galia crying out, men, men, help me. But of course, no one helped her. Another Christian girl named Shura was also thrown into the same police car. Neither child was ever returned to their parents. After this, Alexander remained at home and never returned to school. Albania, 1973. Peter Kaskava, a priest, was told by the communists, speak against God and save yourself. He answered, I consecrate myself to Christ. I cannot speak against him, only against you, the oppressors. Soon after, he was executed. Cuba, 1973. A Christian prisoner was asked to sign a statement concerning the accusations against other Christians that would have led to their arrest and imprisonment. He said, the chains keep me from signing this. The communist officer said, but you are not in chains. And the Christian prisoner replied, I am bound by the chain of witnesses throughout the centuries who gave their lives for Christ. I am a link in this chain and I will not break it. Afghanistan, 1981. A Dutch couple were missionaries to Afghanistan, Berensdens. After several harrowing experiences, harrowing experiences, they returned home to the Netherlands for a short break. Just before they headed back, they were asked if they were afraid to return to Afghanistan. And they replied, we only know of one great danger, not to be the center of God's will. Not long after returning, they were taken prisoners, tied to chairs and tortured in ways I ought not mention from this pulpit. At the graveside during the funeral in Holland, the five-year-old son said, I forgive the men who killed my father and mother. Iran, 1996. Pastor Medid Kabi was accused of apostasy. Denial of the Muslim faith and blasphemy against Muhammad was his crime. He was in prison and cramped with, in a room with no room to stretch his legs. And while in prison, his wife, Aziza, was threatened with stoning. So she divorced him and was forced by the government to marry a Muslim. Then Pastor Khabib was condemned to death. And to the surprise of all, however, he was freed within a month. After a month after his release, a fatwa was against him and appeared in the Tehran newspaper calling for his execution. And soon after this, he was found dead in the park. He was 65 years old. His four children remained faithful to Christ, but the spiritual condition of his wife is not known. Libya, 2015. ISIS executed 21 Christian men on the beach. Their masked executors stood in all black behind the men who knelt in a line wearing orange jumpsuits. After the Islamic State released a video of the murders, images of this massacre of Coptic Christians reverberated, reverberated around the world. Alberta, Canada, 2020. Pastor James Coates was arrested and held in prison for 35 days because he opened his doors to allow his church to gather for worship, denying the call to only allow 15% of God's people to meet. Upon his release, he was told to submit to the government and not gather more than 15% of the church for worship or face further penalty. And he responded 
something like, you might as well keep me in here then. Two months later, the Canadian government built two fences around his church so the people of God cannot gather, sending in 200 officers to stop people from gathering, from worshiping Jesus. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. The reason the world hates the church so much is because the world hates Jesus Christ. The reason the world persecutes the church is because the church belongs to Jesus Christ and not to Caesar. This is why Pharaoh had all the baby boys thrown into the Nile River, Exodus 1. This is why pagan gods lured Israel into sacrificing their children to Molech, 2 Kings 16. This is why Herod had all the infant boys killed in Bethlehem, Matthew chapter 2. And this is why the leaders of Israel wanted Jesus to be crucified, John chapter 19. In this story, after much dialogue with Jesus, Pilate asks the chief priests one last time, I find no fault in this man. What shall you have me do with him? Their reply, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Jesus came with the message of truth. And this message is exclusive. John chapter 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Only through him is anyone able to see God. Jesus did not say he was one of many ways. He did not say people could take his truth or leave it and still be okay. He said that unless you repent of your sin, unless you believe and trust in the work that he has accomplished, you will face the righteous wrath of a holy God. I guess consider this a lengthy introduction, but I believe a necessary one. Because now more than ever, at least in my lifetime, the church is at a crossroads. We either worship Christ and Christ alone, or we stand alongside the chief priests who proclaimed, crucify him, crucify him, we have no king but Caesar. We live in a day when swearing allegiance to Jesus Christ would get you mocked, not praised. We live in a day dominated by evil philosophies, which will soon point the finger at its next target, and in some respects already has, the church. Because after all, it's patriarchal. It's oppressive, it's colonizing, and it upholds whiteness, whatever that is. We live in the day when the state demands for churches to close their doors every time they snap their fingers. And although our Constitution affords us the freedom to gather, some churches are still obeying Caesar rather than their Lord. And to those churches, I would just say, I'm looking for a building, just give me your keys. Now it is true, Mark chapter 12 does say, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and God the things that are God's. 
This is there. However, when you think about the government of the church, one thing ought to be clear. Caesar does not get to determine what belongs to Caesar. God still does that. Yes, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but we ask God what that is. We live in a day when Christians are leaving churches because their churches are open. We live in a day when the joy of the Lord is not seen as a source of strength, but as a characteristic of those who do not love their neighbors as their self. And if this is confusing, and I understand sometimes I can be, put this to the test. Walk around in public with a smile on your face, look people in the eye, get close enough to say hi, and watch them back away as if you may be the cause of their death. We live in a day when gathering people in your home to the glory of God or the blessing of a delicious meal, fellowship, and joy, and laughter is viewed as an unforgivable sin. We live in a day when the followers of Jesus Christ no longer want to follow him if it means the world will point at them, criticize them, and mock them. Church, the study of church government is important because it reminds us who we belong to. The church of Jesus Christ belongs to Jesus Christ. So let me go through a few points in relation to that topic, church government. And although there are many to choose from, the ones I have chosen, I have chosen because I believe they to be the most important things the church needs to consider in our time. All of them point to our obedience as followers of Jesus Christ. We just sing a song. It will be my joy to say, your will, your way. And if we're not careful, we'll put a catchy tune to that so we would actually sing it. But would we actually obey it? Would we obey it? Pastor and author Stephen Lawson, who just happens to be the guy I like listening. If I had to listen to one pastor the rest of my life, this would be the guy. Because he's very small, but very powerful. I don't get it. That's not a knock on him. He's just. You know. He said that obedience matters to God. Obedience keeps his word. It honors his name. It leads into his will. It imitates his son. It advances his kingdom. Obedience matters. Will we be a church who obeys? James tells us to be doers of the word, not hearers only. So as I go through this list, I'd consider, I'd ask you to consider and ask yourself, do I believe this as well as Am I obedient to this? Now that we could go all over the place and figure out who the church is and what we're supposed to be busy doing and, and what we're not to be doing, but these are the things which I think are essential, and I have the mic so I get to decide which ones to talk about. <laughs> the first thing to remember is this. This is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15. After Paul instructs young Timothy on how the church ought to be set up, he says this profound weighty 
statement that I believe we should be considering and for all of eternity. He says the church is the pillar and the buttress of truth. The church of the living God, he says, is the pillar and the buttress of the truth. In a world where the truth changes depending on what new decree needs to be passed, the church of Jesus Christ has always been where the truth about life, death, and everything in between is found. God has given his church the truth. And this truth is for all people at all times and in all places. And praise be to God that his truth will never change. The truth of God's word presents one problem with mankind. It presents one way of salvation. It presents one history of redemption. It presents one salvation for the sinner. It presents one plan for the family. It presents one way to pursue holiness. It presents one way to eternal life. It calls the nations to bow to one Lord. We have this truth. Our eyes have been opened to who God is and what he demands. It is a beautiful and glorious thing. By the grace of God, we have been given the ability to understand the will of God and to obey him. Church, there are many, let's call them privileges of being a Christian. And all of us experience those in different ways. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A joy when there shouldn't be any joy. But the thing that we must cherish the most as God's people is that we know God. We know him. We know what he's like. We know what he loves. We know what he hates. We know what he desires for your life, for my life, for everyone's life. We know what he has said about his creation. The biggest blessing of becoming a Christian is that we know God. And the church, as Paul tells Timothy, is commanded to uphold and defend and support this truth. The never-changing, unfading truth of God. That's number one. Number two, churches are made up of people who have been called out of the world to worship Jesus Christ. Peter says that we've been called out of our darkness into his marvelous light. Mark chapter 3 um, gives us a picture of Jesus calling his disciples, and here's what it says. Jesus went up on the mountain, and he called to him those he desired, and what was their response? Thanks for calling. I'll get back with you. I'm busy at the moment. My figs are ripe. I think they had figs. Hold on. Let me go settle my accounts. Jesus, you're speaking with authority, but I'm not coming just yet. I'm tired. What is the response of the disciples? And they came to him. Christians are people who have been called out of their darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. And when you become a Christian, you are called to follow your Lord, to worship your Lord, to serve your Lord, to learn from your Lord, and if necessary, to die for your Lord. And none of these things require 
a license from the state. We do not ask permission to serve or worship or learn from Jesus Christ. Now, what this also means is that Christians are not neutral. And if there is one area which I think the Western church must repent today, it is this. We are not neutral. We understand the truth of God's word, and here is what it says. Everyone is either following Christ or following the powers and principalities of this world. You are either a friend of Jesus or a friend of the world. You are either in Adam, which is to say you are dead in your sin and under the righteous judgment of a holy God, or you are in Christ, which is to say you are no longer in sin, but you are in Christ, the one who has saved you from the coming judgment of God. There is no neutral position. And the church has been wavering in the middle for far too long. Everyone is either in Adam or in Christ. This is who the church is. Number three, the called out ones of God are commanded to gather together. I think there's six of these. Last week I took a bit of liberty with my word count. I believe there are six of these, and I would only say in all seriousness, I think the importance ramps up as we go, starting with this one. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. At one time, we were not a people. At one time, we did not experience the joy of blessings of God. At one time, we were cut off from the living God. But through Christ. Amen? He laid down his life, and he allowed us to enter the most holy place and dwell with God. Because of this, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who was promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Not neglecting to meet together. In what context does the author of Hebrews tell us to not neglect meeting together? After he has just got done saying, you are not your own, you've been bought with a price. Not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want you to think back, if you can, remember this. And then remember when the state told everyone they ought not gather in groups in order to minimize the impact of COVID-19. In fact, I actually believe groups like this one are still deemed as unlawful. 
Now, after the first few weeks of executive orders, our governor did realize the importance of adding that beautiful constitutional phrasing called religious exemption, in which I appreciate very much and commend her for. However, many followers of Jesus Christ are still choosing to not gather for worship. Either because there is a very real anxiety about COVID, or because there is a conviction that gathering as the church is doing more harm than good, or because in their place of employment, they demand they not gather with people outside of their home. There are many reasons why Christians might not gather for a church worship service for a certain amount of time. But let me challenge you in all love and sincerity. Knowing what we know now about the spread of COVID-19, we should be cautious, we should be careful, we should think of others. But knowing what we know now after some year and a half, are there any biblical reasons to not gather for the worship of our Lord? And on top of this, see, I can say these things because I'm leaving next week. I will spare your pastor from having to say them, if he agrees. I don't know. He'll tell me when he comes back. <laughs> We're friends. It's okay. On top of this, even if COVID was worse than we thought, are there reasons to not gather? The kingdom of heaven has come down. The kingdom of heaven has come down to earth and every seven days for a thousand years and, thousand, and a few thousand years on the Lord's day, the Lord's people have gathered. Because God inhabits the praises of his people. And where two or more are gathered, he is there with us. This is not a Costco or a Walmart. This is the church of the living God. And you're involved in it right now. For a few thousand years, the people of God have gathered for worship, fellowship, prayer, and communion. Are there today any biblical reasons to not gather with the people of God? Now I say this not as a way to condemn those who are not gathering. How can I? For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Amen? It's not a condemnation. I don't say this as a way to cause people to doubt the sincerity of their salvation. I say this because I want them to love the bride of Christ. I want them to realize that the spirit-filled fellowship of the body of Jesus Christ is that which gets you through the next six days. But if you are not here listening to me now and you are genuinely nervous about getting COVID or spreading COVID, I, I don't know many people in this room. I think there's the camera, but I will tell you, we are with you and we are praying for you. But if you are not here because the state has told you to not gather, 
or rather if you are listening to me now and your church is closed? Are we any better than the guards who took a bribe from the Roman soldiers to keep quiet the resurrection of our Lord? But if you are not here because you are worried, remember the words of Jesus. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, but tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If the church is made up of those who are called out to worship the living God, should the fear of death stop us from worshiping the God of the living? Number four, Jesus says his church has all authority to bind and loose. Matthew chapter 16. This means that the church, under the authority of Jesus Christ, is given the authority to determine right from wrong, truth from falsehood, good from evil. We have been given the keys to the kingdom. We have the gifts, we have the spirit, we have the word. We are the prophets sent out into the world to proclaim the goodness of God. And this is an enormous privilege, an enormous responsibility. It is an enormous privilege to be chosen by God, God called out from our darkness, called into his light, to then go and to proclaim what is good, what is true, and what is beautiful. This is who the church is. In a world of darkness, sin, and despair, in the middle of all of that stands an unshakable kingdom that will never fall. And we have what is good, we have what is true, and we have what is beautiful. And that should be our message each and every day. In a world that is hell-bent on denying the existence of God, in a world that is hell-bent on loving and promoting sin more than the promotion of worshiping King Jesus, the church must get busy binding and loosing. We stand for what is true because it is good for our neighbor. We stand for what it is true because it is good for the world. And this truth, church, is, is, is for your next door neighbor, it's for the people in your house, and it's for the president in Washington. No one is left out of our aim of the truth. No one gets left out when we take aim and fire with the word of God. We tell it to everyone. The church is actually called to advise kings on what God demands of them. And I, I don't want to give too much away, but that's next week. When you read your Bible, you will see that over and over and over again. The priests and prophets of God told kings what to do and what not to do. Now consider this with me for a moment. If the church does not give counsel to the world, if we have this truth, but we hide it under a bushel, who is going to disciple the nations? Who is going to call the nations to obedience? Who is going to warn the sinner of the wrath to come? And some of us right now, we step back and we think, man, I am lamenting at the state of our nation. I'm a bit fearful. I have no idea what's coming next week because every seven days there's another thing. And I'm angry that we got here. 
and I'm frustrated for what my kids are going to be handed. But just hold on a minute. Who was called to disciple this nation? We were. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all I have commanded. Judgment starts in the house of God. It is the church's responsibility to disciple a nation of what God demands of them. And this is why we must take the government of the church so much more seriously than we have. Gone are the days when you walk in five minutes late, sing the two songs you like, give a little bit of money to ease your conscience, and walk out. Those days will not prepare you for what's coming next. Those days will not prepare you for what's coming next. The church needs to stand with iron in our blood, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to proclaim what is good and true and beautiful to all of the world. And so you might be lamenting at the state in which you live, but it's our job to disciple the state in which we live. We have the truth. No one else is coming. Be besides Jesus, he's coming back. <laughs> we are the hope of the world. We are the light of the gospel. And we have been far too lazy. Number five. And you're going to hear a theme that I have talked about for a couple of weeks because I do think it's very important. Jesus said that within his church, within the government and structure of his church, the leaders are to be men. Men who meet certain criteria. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. And then the congregation are to obey those leaders. Hebrews 13. We live in a day when the distinction between men and women is being attacked. And an attack upon the created order of God is an attack on God our Father. His goodness and his beauty in which he has created all things. We are told that men can be men and women can be women. And although the church may recognize the danger of this idea when it comes to the physical identity and the biology of a person, the church has failed. Maybe not this one, but there are more Christians in this planet than just us. The church has failed to recognize the danger of this idea of church, in church leadership. Now, let me help you understand where I'm coming from. See, in a day like 2020, you actually have to qualify yourself and say, I'm for women. I like to say things without qualification because it makes people think more. If I qualify everything, I can't say what I think I need to say. I know we're told to apologize at least six times before we truly say what we want to say, but a preacher just needs to stand flat-footed and say what the Bible says. I'm for women. I married one. That's the qualification, okay? But the reason that men are called to lead the church is because men were created to lead, protect, serve, and die. That's what we're for. Survey the Bible and see what God has called men to do throughout history. Men go to war. They do not send their wives to fight on their behalf. Men stand up to other wicked men. 
They do not send their wives to fight those battles. And this is why it is of the utmost importance that the bride of Jesus Christ be defended, upheld, and led by men of courage and men of conviction and men of truth. Yes, men who wear the crown of thorns as Jesus did, giving up their lives so the bride would be protected. But it is important that men become men again. Now, although we kind of hate the old days, I think we can take a lesson from our grandparents every so often right about now. In Isaiah chapter 3, God condemns Israel and Judah for their sinful living. This is what's happening in Isaiah chapter 3. And listen to the judgment given because of their sin. This is Isaiah 3, verses 8 through 12. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they bought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it should be all well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. But woe to the wicked. It shall be ill with them, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are your oppressors, and women rule over you. Oh, my people, your guides have misled you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. Just as households need courageous fathers, churches need courageous men again. I am one of two pastors down the road at Citygate Church. The other pastor is a man named Cole Brandon. Some of you may know him. That was a joke that did not work. When, <laughs> when Cole was in seminary, and by the way, um, I don't want to brag too much about him because his head is already that big, but he is, he is a true gift to us. You need to know that. True gift. When Cole was in seminary, he said he read a study. There's a shocker. He read something. He read a study that every denomination that has ordained women as pastors and elders went into decline. There has not been one in which women are ordained as pastors and elders that is thriving anywhere. It won't happen. It won't happen. Why won't it happen? Because patriarchal, misogynist men will keep the women down? No. Because God said don't do it. Because God said don't do it. Every church who rejects the commands of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 has abandoned the mission of the church because they have asked their women to walk before them on the battlefield. The world needs men to be men and women to be women. The world needs to see men glorify God as men and women glorify God as women. And if the church continues to follow the world's teaching on human sexuality, we will lose our witness. Now, I know I think we've lost our witness because we're gathering for church. That was a big deal for a long time. We thought maybe if we closed our church, all the sinners would flood our church when we opened it. Not a great strategy. This will jeopardize our witness. There are so many modern evangelical Christians 
who stress the importance of preserving our witness, yet fail to obey the word of God. There's that great story in the Old Testament, Chronicles, I believe, the second one, where Jehoshaphat, the king, is perplexed because there are three armies coming at him. You know the story? There are three armies coming at him. He has no idea what to do. So he calls out to God and seeks counsel. And God says, here's what you do. You get out the choir robes, you pick 300 men, and you have them march out before the spears and the shields, and they sing. Men go to war singing the praises of God. And what happened? All three of those armies were totally dismayed, and they wiped each other out. Men go to war to protect the people of God. We do not send our women in before us. Six, I'm going to end with a very positive one. In terms of understanding who the church is and what is to be done, never forget this last thing. In Christ, God is making all things new. All things new. I realize we began with a sober reminder of the cost of following Christ, and that was intentional. So I will end with a glorious reminder of what God in Christ is doing in this world. In Christ, God is making all things new. That mustard seed is growing into the largest tree where everyone on creation will find shelter. The leaven is working its way through the loaf day by day by day by day. Today, church, there are more followers of Jesus Christ. There is more beauty, more truth, and goodness in the world than ever before. And tomorrow, there will be more. Amen? What you have come to believe by the grace of God, because you were dead, stop giving yourself credit, by the grace of God, what you have come to know and believe started on the other side of the planet with 12 confused people. The gospel is working. The gospel is working. And if you're still thinking about all the martyrs that I read about in the first part of the surface, service, don't forget this. We stand here today doing what we're doing in relative peace because of what they've done. Because of their faithfulness and suffering. Jesus said persecution is coming. And so imagine if all the martyrs didn't martyr. And they said, okay, just leave me alone. I'll deny my Lord. We would not be sitting here today. We would not gather in relative peace today. And so never forget that persecution will come in many different forms. I don't think we'll ever see it in that form in our country. And we should say, praise God. That's actually a sign that the gospel is taking root. It's a sign that the gospel is flourishing. But never forget, they had to remain faithful for us to receive this. And so we are to remain faithful to what God has called us to in our time. And I want to end with a bunch of scriptures so we do not despair. Because yes, I wanted to challenge you with how the church is set up and who the church is to be and how we are to think. And that is all important. But never forget that Christ has won the victory. He has won the victory. Now let me, let me set up these portions of scripture. I'm going to be done soon. 
I'm beginning to close. Let me set up these portions of scripture with telling you this. Some of us doubt the goodness of God. Some of us doubt the faithfulness of God because of the world we live in. That's normal. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Stop interpreting your Bible with your newsfeed. Start interpreting your newsfeed with your Bible. One more time. Stop interpreting your Bible with what you hear in the news. Start interpreting what you hear in the news with the truthfulness of your Bible. G.K. Chesterton, a man I'm learning to read because it's difficult, but it's glorious, says the one perfectly, perfectly divine thing, the one perfectly divine thing, the one glimpse of God's paradise given on earth is to fight a losing battle and not lose it. (laughs) I love that. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And we win. And people are saved. And homes are restored. And nations will bow. And every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. And it feels in the moment that we are losing. And sometimes it's 20 step backs, half step forward. But there is one glorious and divine thing on this earth, and that is to fight a losing battle and not lose it. So here is where I will end after I read a bunch of Bible. If you were to survey the Bible and just look for those texts of encouragement, of glory, they're all over the place. And I want to give you some of them so you would remember what your God is up to. And so you would realize that the way that this church operates really does matter. Because we have the truth. First one, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above all the hills. And all the nations will flow to it. All of the nations will flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. From out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's beautiful. Habakkuk chapter 2, the man with the funny name. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How much of the earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of God? Well, as much earth as the waters cover the sea. Everywhere. Psalm 22, verses 27 to 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember, and they will turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Psalm 72, verse 8. May he have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Isaiah chapter 11. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters 
cover the sea. John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John chapter 12, verse 32. And when I am lifted up for all the earth, I will draw people to myself, all people to myself. Romans chapter 4. Verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the raw law, but through the righteousness of faith, which is glorious for us, the Gentiles. Galatians chapter 3, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before Abraham. Think of that. Before Abraham, the gospel was preached, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, remember what is true. Hold on to it with everything that you have. Lay down your life for it if necessary. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, and I dare say I would never enter a church where there are not unbelievers. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, all of what I've said is for you today. You cannot stop what God has said and what God will do. Lay down your weapons, stop fighting, and come to Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Turn away from what you love. And when you do, you will turn to Jesus Christ. You will turn away from the sin that has enslaved you. And don't worry. Because when you turn from it, it's not more darkness to be afraid of. It's full light and the glory of God. He is the Savior who has came to seek and to save you. He is the Lord of all creation who is making all things new. So just let him. He is here now and he's offering you eternal life. Stop playing games. You will not defeat him. Your sin is no match for his grace. Bend your knee to King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the church. We praise you for what you have done in our lives. We thank you for your word, for your spirit. We thank you for calling us out of our darkness when we could not have done it ourselves. We praise you for the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension of our King. Father, give us the strength we need to proclaim how excellent you are. Give us the strength to lead our homes well, to lead ourselves well, and to gather in fellowship with your people more and more as the day draws near. Father, I thank you for this church, for these people, and for millions more just like us who are doing exactly what we're doing right now 
May your name be praised above all other names. We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.